knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he did, didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Ashley Glassick. And Ashley, we got a great question in the group this week, and I thought it'd be fun to just quickly talk about that. And someone was asking for, like, recipes for the Sabbath. And I actually even started putting together a document, and I thought it'd be fun just to talk about it a little bit, because I think... Sometimes, especially if you've got young children and that's something you're about to enter into, it can be mm -hmm. so overwhelming when you're trying to get breakfast, make sure your family's fed, then you get out to church, then you get home for lunch. We always really liked to entertain, um, right. not entertain might not be the right word, but have hospitality after <laughs> church on, on Sundays. And so one thing, what you know, it took me a while to kind of figure out what worked for our family, but I thought I'd share just a couple of things and maybe one day we'll do, I, I know we'll do an episode on the Sabbath specifically, but might be good just to talk about the practical implications of the Sabbath too. So one thing that we did was I would, when my kids were young, that was so helpful is getting all their clothes out the night before, mm -hmm. you know, cause you're already rushing around, you know, make sure the baths and the clothes are out. And the other thing I like to do is put together a breakfast casserole the night before nice. because then I wait, when I wake up on Sunday, I throw it in the oven. It's, it's ready to take out as everybody's ready, you know, for, yeah. and, mm -hmm. Kids get so hungry, you know, and that's a later lunch. So I find having a heartier breakfast. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a great idea. To be helpful um, mm -hmm. to do. And then I actually have like a handful of recipes that are our Sunday recipes. Nice. They're either in the crock pot or I can put them together the day before. Like lasagna is a good mm -hmm. Sunday recipe. Where you just throw it in the oven. Yeah. The day of. Yeah. Right. I can make it on Saturdays. And one thing, our oven actually has a timer on it. So I can, I can even freeze it, have a frozen lasagna that I made before 
pull it Mm -hmm. out of the freezer, throw it into the oven and then have the oven come on by timer to, so that it's right when we walk in the door. Fancy. We, we do not have one of those, but I would love that. Yeah, that's a, it's funny. We had one of those when my kids were really little, then we moved and our new house did not have one of those, but we got a new, when we had to get a new oven, I said, we need this feature because I'm, yeah, that's, I didn't even know that existed. I thought that was like where we were headed as a society. (laughs) I didn't know we were already there. That's amazing. It's a, it's a great feature. And then, and then the other thing is crock pots. And I think probably most families. Instant pots now. I know. I need I'm to getting get one, one soon. I'm getting yeah. one soon. My yeah. husband and I were watching the videos. I said we need to get one of these. You've probably seen some of the recipes the gals yeah. from our uh, gals admin. Yeah, and in another group that we're in, and I'm looking at these recipes, saying that would be so great. Well, especially for you working, you could get home, throw something in the Instapot, and then you're good to go. Yeah. You know, as you're talking, I was thinking of one thing I've done several times because I learned this from um, another friend of mine. This is especially good for the summertime is just going to the store the day before and getting like like rolls, like sandwich rolls mm-hmm. and lunch meats and cheeses and then getting like um, grapes or watermelon or some sort of like, you know, good summer fruit. And just having everyone come over and just make your own however you want it kind of sandwich thing. Yeah. You know, it's like no prep and everyone gets to have kind of what they want. Um, That one's really easy, too. That's my go to when it's like I find out Saturday night someone's coming over for lunch (laughs) tomorrow after church kind of thing. Um, Because just I just run to the store real quick and I don't have to actually cook anything. Yeah, that's a that's a really good idea. Or you could do maybe like soup and sandwiches, like maybe mm-hmm. put, put together the soup on Saturday. All you have to do is throw it onto the oven or put it in the crock pot. Mm-hmm. So it's ready, put out the sandwich stuff. I think that would be uh, another good kind of Sunday thing to do. And then I usually, when I, a lot of times I will just do uh, a meat like either pot roast or I like to buy the the bone in turkey breast. Those are really great. Or when spiral honey hams are on sale, I stock up because that's another great Sunday mm-hmm. meal. And, you know, and then you just do all the fixings and you've got, you can do a lot of it the day before. Like you can put your salad together and then put the dressing on, you know, and the tomatoes, you don't want to do those ahead of time, you know. Right before you serve it and yeah yeah the other thing we do is Sunday is the only day I make dessert so I like to make it special yeah and I think it works out well to do it whether it's just our family or Mm -hmm. having people over so anyways I am I am going to we talked about some recipes so I'm putting that together in a document that I'll be posting in the group if you're not in our group you can email us and I can send you that I put some of our breakfast casserole recipes in there and some other stuff we talked about, you know, just some good Sabbath meals. Yeah. That's a great idea. You and I were going to do the law today, but we got so many questions from last week's episode. We said, let's kind of just continue on from what we talked about 
last week before we get into the law specifically, because we got yeah. some really great, great questions. So, you know, what's interesting about the questions we got this week, Ashley, is that some of them were even doubled up, mm-hmm. which I thought, well, if two people are asking the same question, probably yeah. a pretty good indication. I think, I think this is a new idea to some people. Um, they haven't, haven't heard this before. So they, right. they just have a lot of questions about it. Yeah. And, and just some of the things that, that we did talk about. I did want to say that next week we have very special guest, mm-hmm. and we're, we are going to be talking about pietism with this guest. Like if you want to talk about pietism, this is the guy to talk to about it. I don't know. Should we say who's coming on? Let's just should... surprise him. Okay. Now that could have been anyone who reads this person's books will might know by that little yeah. I just gave. <laughs> yeah. He so, knows a lot about confessionalism too. There's another yes. hint. So yeah. And we're gonna be talking about kind of the difference between confessionalism and pietism and modern evangelicalism and how we got here and stuff yeah. Like that. Well, let's just go ahead and di- just kind of jump in. All right. So the first question is, what is the difference between legalism and gnomism? Not sure I completely understand gnomism. Is it distinct from what the average person would call legalism? Is it related to the pietism movement? Uh, should we go back and define what gnomism is? Probably yeah. give clear definitions for the movie. both. Yeah. Yeah. So gnomism just basically speaking, would be through or on the basis of law keeping. So any sort of justification that that is attained in any way or maintains itself in any way uh, through law keeping. I mean, yeah. that would be, and sometimes it's not as obvious. It can be a little sneakier. Like we have yeah. federal vision, which has, you know, some of that that might not be as obvious as maybe a, a pure Wesleyan Arminian. And then mm-hmm. antinomianism is basically being opposed to the moral laws, our standard uh-huh. for living. Now, I think that legalism, I found a great article. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and include it on the episode notes and it was from Ligonier that talked about the the three kinds of legalism and I'm just going to talk about two specifically in regards to this question because I think we think about legalism in two different words sometimes people use legalism as kind of synonymous with the gnomism that we were talking about Mm -hmm. so that it kind of is part of our justification But there's also, we also hear legalism used in another way. And that is when we add our own rules to God's law. Okay. So let me, I'll give an example saying that it is wrong to drink alcohol. You know, it would be, the Bible doesn't ever say that. It says it's wrong to be drunk. I've heard it stated as creating a fence where God hasn't made a fence. So you're like, you're like fencing something. Like you're not allowed to do this thing. But nowhere in scripture does it say you're not allowed to do this thing. Right. Um, And I think we've talked about legalism a little bit this week that we feel that sometimes legalism is used correctly. Sometimes it's easy to identify like, yes, that's legalism. And then other times people toss around the word legalism and they're using it incorrectly. Like that's not really what it is. 
Right. And that's why you cannot confuse legalism with obeying God's commands. Like right. some people, I mean, I don't know if you've heard this, but I have, that being a Sabbatarian is, is legalistic. Yeah, right. And it's like, well, that's the fourth commandment. So if, you know, we're following God's moral law, that's not legalism. That's following God's moral law. Right. So. And we were also told that a lot during kind of the second commandment episode and discussions that right. our, our view of the second commandment is, is legalistic. And right. some people said, said, well, that's a Romans 14 issue. And mm. it's, wow. yeah. it's not, we wouldn't say that about any other of God's laws. No, we wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Romans 14 issue. I'm, you know, you might not be okay with it, but I am, you know, or, mm-hmm. and just to be clear, Romans 14, we've got, you know, meat sacrifice to idols. It's lawful to eat that meat, but some people, mm-hmm. their conscience is not okay with eating meat sacrifice yeah. to idols. Well, another example, I think we mentioned this last week of legalism would be people who still want to maintain the dietary laws. Yeah. That's a good um, example. To turn... Like if, if you want to not eat pork or um, things like that, you want to be kosher. I think it's okay if you on your own want to do that. Um, but then to turn and say all Christians need to keep kosher, um, that would be legalism because food, um, Paul says the food is clean. So right. you, you can't make that rule for all Christians. And I, I think sometimes too – we, we can say it's not a good idea for Christians to do this and it can come off as legalism, like, um, watching like a rated R movie that's supposed to have like some bad scenes in it, which I feel like rated R has gotten worse and worse over the years, you know? Um, but for me to say, I really don't think you should watch that movie. There's some not good stuff in there. And then, it's like someone could turn and say, well, that's legalistic of you to say, I, I, I have freedom in Christ. I can, I can watch whatever movies I want. Um, so I, I think it gets tricky, you know? Um, and that, that's where I think legalism gets thrown around a lot when it, when it shouldn't be thrown around. Right. So we need to be careful not, not to confuse legalism with truly following God's law. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I think, um, well, I know some people who really are antinomians. I mean, one of these people justified the watching of pornography based hmm. on his his view of the moral law. And wow. they, they'll call everybody a legalist. And you'll sometimes see, you know, anyone who holds to things stricter than I do, I consider a legalist. Mm. You see that sort right. of mentality. So, right. There was a time in my life when I would have called just about anything legalism because I wasn't taught a robust view of the law. And so I didn't realize all that was required of Christians, um, not for salvation, but required just for daily life. And I, I just didn't know. And so if someone would have, you know, four years ago or so told me, hey, the second commandment, no images of Christ, I would have said that's legalism. Right. Like without even a second thought, I would have told you that was legalism. So um, I think I come from, 
I come from the side of like the almost free grace, you know, like that's how I was raised. Just like yeah. do whatever you want. Um, just don't, you know, drink or get pregnant. <laughs> that's what I was raised in. Um, but I think there are people that were raised in the exact opposite environment where it was extremely legalistic. And so I think, I think I like, I like talking about the law as a reformed Christian because I had no concept of the law at all growing up. Whereas I know people that grew up in these crazy, just fundamentalists, you know, legalistic backgrounds. They're like, please don't talk about the law because the law was used to just break us down, you know, when I was growing up. So, so it's a, they're, being almost reactionary yeah. to what, and I, I've seen it both ways. People who are in more of a hyper grace antinomian circle go mm-hmm. too far the other way on the law. And mm-hmm. then people who are in very legalistic circles sometimes go too far the other way on Christian freedom. And I'm actually jump down to a question we got just because I think what we're talking about here, it would be good to include this. And she said, when I heard you guys define antinomianism, it sounded a lot like the hyper grace movement. Is uh-huh. this correct? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. I think, um, you know, the hyper grace movement had some good things about it because the gospel was very prominent in that movement because they did emphasize grace. And yet, there was no emphasis on holiness at all on the right. part of the Christian. We preach the gospel. I actually took saw this quote on Twitter just today, and it was on it didn't have a quote like who said it, but it was on Michael Horton's Twitter. So I'll just assume he said he probably said it, but said the heart set free by the gospel obeys God from delight, adoration, and joy from true worship while the legalistic heart obeys begrudgingly having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Hmm. And so I think it's important to understand that while we believe in justification by faith alone, that my good works aren't helping my justification in any way. It's actually in view of that, that we desire to obey God, you know, it says Mm -hmm. delight, adoration, joy, and true worship. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't understand why anyone, how anyone can be mindful of God's grace and not want to please God in obedience. Right. That's like what Paul says in Romans. So, so sin may abound. Like, do we just sin yeah. all the more because of God's grace? Yeah, and he says, of course be. not. Yeah, of yeah. course not. That's not That's not what we're saying at all. I like what this quote says here, too, because we were talking about people that maybe grew up in very legalistic circles and kind of go too far the other way, where they see the law as this thing that they must begrudgingly obey. Like, mm-hmm. like it's crushing instead of pointing them to Christ in the gospel when we fail at obeying the law. Right. And I think, I think if you grew up in a circle like that, you have to come to a point where you distinguish, okay, what was I, what was I raised up in that is just legalism and what is actually God's law? You know, like 
Um, I remember meeting a woman who didn't wear pants until she moved out of her parents' house because women weren't allowed to wear pants, you know, that kind of thing. Like, um, that's legalism. Um, but there were things she did learn growing up that were, that were good, you know, that were, that that's following God's law, but she had to, she had to parse through, you know, right. What, where is their freedom and where do I, do I need to follow, um, God's law? And I think, I, I don't, whenever I think about it in my head, I honestly think of it as like a tightrope walk and it's, you're trying to find this balance between antinomianism, nomism or legalism right. and freedom in Christ. And it's, and, it's a hard but balance. Scripture, yeah. But scripture, but scripture is clear. Like right. Ashley was saying, you can go to scripture. Is this thing is this thing something that God has said? I mean, is there a verse that women should only wear dresses? Um, no, there's not. I mean, you can choose to only wear dress, but if you say that this is necessary for the Christian woman, when it's not something that we see in scripture, mm-hmm. I mean, understanding, understanding justification by faith alone, understanding the why of good works. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you don't have the why, the law does feel very burdensome. Yeah. It, well, especially instead of when we all fail every day, I mean, every mm-hmm. minute, we we sin. And when we do, instead of that being just crushing, it should point you to Christ and the gospel, the good news. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm going to move on to another question because it kind of fits in with this. And I think this is something I've heard myself. So I think it's okay. important. Is antinomianism a common, and she put in parentheses, unfounded charge against reform people? And she said, in another group I'm in, there are some vocal anti-Calvinists. And I specifically see them claiming that Calvinism is antinomianism. I had not heard that before. So yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I, I've, I've heard that a lot. Um, I've heard that a lot even in the justification by faith alone debates that were kind of happening at the end of 2017 online. Um, the charge that, you know, if you're claiming justification is by faith alone through grace alone um, and Christ alone, then you're that's antinomian because people are not going to want to follow the law if they know it's by grace through faith and they don't have to do anything. Right. They, in fact, somebody, a friend of mine, her, her dad told her that the Calvinists don't believe in obedience. Mm-hmm. And there, there are some hyper Calvinists that are antinomian. So, or, or, or even new Calvinists. Yeah in that new Calvinist group, I don't think they're the majority at all, but I think people paint them like the new Calvinists, like that's what they are is not following the law. But I mean, I because think they drink and right. Yeah. But as, but this is a charge. And I think, I think it comes from a couple different places. I think that it comes because people assume they assume that, if you 
believe that works aren't necessary, mm -hmm. then then you don't have any motivation to obedience. Yeah. And understanding Reformed theology, it's I mean, we Reformed theology has a doctrine of progressive sanctification. Yeah. That those are in Christ will grow in obedience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a space to say that works are necessary for the Christian life um, and sanctification. Like we do believe, like you said, in progressive, we're being progressively sanctified. But they think that if you don't say they're necessary for our salvation, then people aren't going to want to do them. Like they don't, they don't think that gratefulness um, are good enough is a good enough mo motivation for obedience. Right. And I think I shared this before, but our Mormon neighbor actually asked us one day, if you don't have to do good works, why do you? Hmm. Like she didn't understand what's your motivation. Yeah. You know, but when we explained it, she said, wow, that's really neat. I'd never heard that before. So, you know, I, and I think really, as I've said, and we've said a lot of times is, the catechism, go read the catechism because it's very clear on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I, I always think about how we are, you know, the story the the, I think it's Ezekiel 38 um, where he talks about the Valley of the dry bones mm -hmm. and he has the heart of stone and he replaces it with the heart of flesh um, there's a, there's a song, I can't think of the artist, but he, he did a song called the Valley of the dry bones where he's talking about, you know, getting that new heart of flesh. Um, and so I, I sometimes think about that when it comes to why we obey, we, we do, we do look back on, we do look back at what Christ did and obey out of gratitude, but we also have this new heart in us that's being sanctified day by day to desire to follow God's law and actually delight in God's law. Like it says in the Psalms to see it as a good thing. Yeah. You know, I think I actually, I'm just going to read um, the Westminster catechism on sanctification because I think that it really describes it very well. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Mm. So because it's God is working in us by his grace and renewing us, because we're in Christ so that we, mm -hmm. so that we die unto sin and live unto righteousness and we'll yeah. continue to struggle with sin. You yeah. know, I think we all wish that we were more sanctified than we mm -hmm. actually are or that sanctification yeah. would be a faster process, but we do continue to struggle. Yeah. Um, there's, there's another artist who has a song about just, feeling the weight of his own sin as a Christian and the refrain of the song, he says, wake me up when it's springtime in heaven. Like he's just saying like, I'm so ready for this struggle against sin to be got done, you know, like 
it is a struggle, you know, like even as Christians, it's a struggle. Um, I mean, we are, we are growing in our sanctification, but um, it can feel very difficult at times. And I would say too, that as we are growing just in our faith, as, as we are reading scripture and being in worship, and I think that we begin to see our sin even more. And so sometimes mm-hmm. it feels like we aren't growing in sanctification <laughs> at all because we see our sin even more. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's so. like you you have victory in one area and then you look and there's like five other areas where you're like, oh, geez. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you're convicted of something new. Uh-huh. Which is always... You know, that's like a prayer I tend to have where I'm like, Lord, like when I'm feeling prideful, it's like, Lord, show me my sin. Show me how, just how heinous my sin is. And he always answers <laughs> in a big way where I'm just like so humbled, you know, like, right. yep, there, there is my sin. There it is. It's pretty bad. So, yeah. It's worse you, than I thought it was. If, you, if you're ever feeling like, I just don't see that much sin in my life, ask God to show you, <laughs> show you your sin. This, you know, I didn't even realize, but we got it. This question is actually kind of similar. She says, do you know anything about sinless perfectionism? I'm trying to understand how the anti-Calvinists I encountered relate to this topic. They equate Calvinism with antinomianism, and they claimed the sinless perfection doctrine. And then she says one lady said she hadn't sinned in years. Wow. They, But then she actually, and we'll talk about this secondly, but she said they also denied substitutionary atonement mm-hmm. and said that they held to the ransom theory. So I think this actually goes, goes together quite. I actually don't know what the ransom theory is. I've never heard that before. Okay. Uh, well, let me, d- I guess, let me get to the ransom theory in a okay. second. Um, so I do understand, I mean, I don't understand sinless perfection That in that I don't know how anyone can claim that they haven't sinned. But right. um, I did go to a Wesleyan Holiness Bible College that taught entire sanctification. So it was wow. kind of a two-stage salvation. So, you know, you get saved they would have and then you become entirely sanctified later wow. and this was something that here that on, here on earth you yeah. you're entirely sanctified wow yeah i think i've actually shared this before on the podcast there was a missionary lady that was working at our school and she hadn't sinned in 3 years wow. and i said to her that that's just never going to happen with me because my thoughts alone are so wicked uh-huh. And she said, oh, that's not sin. Those are mistakes. And so. Oh, I see. They're, they're, they are not recognizing the weight of sin, the weight of mm. the law. Yeah. And they must not have a view of the holiness of God. You know, they must not. Yeah, they must not understand how holy falling, God is, right? Yeah. Of, of truly falling short of God's glory. Yeah, you know, even understanding both sins of omission and sins of commission. Yeah. So, if I neglect to love my neighbor perfectly, I'm falling short of God's glory. It's not yeah. just that I've not lied today or committed adultery today or murdered today, 
But uh-huh. if I've neglected to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength, I've fallen short. Yeah. And I like that the the catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism is set up that way, where if you go to around question 100, when it starts talking about the Ten Commandments, it says, what are the duties required in the first commandment? And then what are the duties forbidden in the first commandment? Like there's yeah. two there's two parts, what we are supposed to be doing and what we are not supposed to be doing. Right. And I think maybe sometimes people in those circles, no, I I mean, I'm sure that they're neglecting to think of what our duty is on both, on both sides of that. Now, Mm -hmm. let me just get to the ransom theory that she mentioned so um, for those who aren't aware, there's some different theories of the atonement. So basically what happened and how we are saved. And so the ransom theory sees the atonement of Christ as a ransom paid. Um, a lot of times they say paid to Satan to purchase man's freedom and release from being enslaved to Satan. What? Why would it need to be paid to Satan? I don't. Yeah. They, I, they don't see their sins. I guess he, I'm thinking that I don't know a lot about this, but I'm thinking because it's because of Satan that we're in bondage to sin. Mm. So the atonement frees us from that bondage to sin, which would make sense in a sinless perfection mm. theology. Yeah. Because now you're no longer in bondage to sin. Hmm. So they, when we sin, they see it as sinning against Satan? No, sinning against God, but because of Satan's, because we're in bondage, I think, to Satan. Huh. Yeah, that's a, that's a real huge leap in, like, logic. Yeah, it also... I'm just trying to understand how someone could consistently hold to that. On the CARM website, um, which is Matt Slick's site, he says, It is based on a belief that man's spiritual condition is bondage to Satan and that the meaning of Christ's death was to secure God's victory over Satan. Hmm. So how does that differ from what do we believe about the atonement? Uh, Substitutionary atonement. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And so we believe that that Christ obeyed the law perfectly right. for us and, and paid for our sin mm-hmm. in our place. Yeah. And so, wow, that's crazy. And she asked later on in her question, are those beliefs related to gnomism? Yeah. Do you think I, that's related? Sinless perfectionism? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, we do see in in a lot of Wesleyan holiness, they they do think that works are necessary to maybe maintain our salvation. Mm-hmm. I have some Wesleyan friends who believe that, like, if you do certain sins, you you get you lose your salvation. So they okay, like the so like Catholics call them like the mortal sin. What are they? The mortal sins or the yeah? I don't know how venial and mortal sins. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's like a certain set of sins, but it's, I've gotten the impression from my friends, like if that person seems to be living in rebellion, then they obviously have lost their salvation. 
So they are, it is a type of nomism because they are requiring good works. And if you don't do those good works, you lose your salvation. Right. That's a scary, scary place to be in. Yeah. I actually asked, I asked one of them. So like if I was like living in rebellion for a few minutes and I, uh, and I sinned and then I got hit by a car, then I would like go to hell, you know, cause I hadn't repented and gained my salvation back. I mean, I'd probably want to live in a cave if I believed. Yeah. That. There's yeah. No like go live in a monastery somewhere. Um, but then, you know, you've got your thoughts too. So exactly. <laughs> that's a, that's good luck not saying thing. in your head. <laughs> right. So, but, but I think, I think one of the things is that even though they have this view and it, isn't it interesting because I see the people that that have a view that seems to include good works. But then at the same time, I don't think that they recognize the weight of the law, hmm. even though they're emphasizing good works, they're not recognizing the, the wages of sin is death. You know, they're not recognizing how much that that's true, that even our thoughts and even how our good works can even be mixed with our sinfulness. Yeah. And kind of relating to the other question where she, another girl asked if antinomianism was a common charge against reformed people. Um, I was sharing with you just purely anecdotally, like when I started attending a reformed church, I was so challenged by like just looking at the lives of the people around me and how seriously they took holiness and following God's moral law in a way just I'd never seen before. Um, I don't know if that's been your experience too in like your transition to the reformed side of Christianity, but um I, I obedience is taken even more. Seriously. Yeah, just very seriously. Like people, I mean, in ways that I hadn't even considered that that is an implication of following God's moral law. Like where I, I had to take a step back and being like, wow, like I've not even been, you know, following the Lord's day the whole time I've been a yeah. Christian and, and, and lots of different things, not just the Lord's day, but, um, and so I've been both challenged and encouraged by being in reformed churches um, because I think it's good to be surrounded by people that are taking holiness more seriously than you. Um, you know, it, it helps sharpen, sharpen you, you know, iron sharpens iron. Right. So and I think it's because when you are pointing to the gospel, when you are pointing to Christ being sufficient mm-hmm. for us when you are pointing to our good works, not being necessary to maintain our salvation. I think it's be, you understand God's grace in such a way that it motivates you to obedience. Yeah. Yeah. Like having a right view of the law makes you, helps you be more obedient to the law. Right. Yeah. 
And but it's because you ha- also have a right view of the gospel, right? Because now that you know what it is is when that quote from Horton that I that I mentioned when he talks about the legalistic heart obeys begrudgingly. We mm-hmm. actually obey because we are free in Christ to obey mm-hmm. now, not to obtain or maintain anything. We're actually now free in Christ to obey. It's powerful. It's yeah. really powerful. Why don't we talk about duty and desire? Yeah, and you were the one who kind of talked about that. So, um, yeah, somebody wanted us to kind of talk about duty and desire. So, yeah, last week I mentioned that um, we do obey out of a desire to obey, and we've already mentioned as we're as we're being sanctified, our desire to obey God's law is increasing. but there is a sense of duty in obeying God's law because often, very often in my life, my heart, my heart isn't desiring to do what I know is right. Um, and so as Colleen and I were talking about this before, I thought of in Jeremiah 17, 9, when it says, you know, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Um there, there is a, a fallenness, you know, to us. We're not, it's not like we get our new hearts um, when we're, we um, are re- regenerated, we get our new hearts and we don't desire to do the wrong thing anymore. Um, we're still, our hearts are still wicked. Um, there's still wickedness in there. And so often um we just don't, we don't desire to do the right thing. And yet we know it's the right thing. And so we do it. And I, that's doing it out of a sense of duty, even though our hearts are miles away (laughs) saying, I'd rather not, (laughs) or, you know, I don't really feel like it today. You know, um, we do it anyway, because we know what's, what's required of us is to do it. Um, so I think I heard this for the first time when I was talking with a friend, and this was actually early on when I was a Christian, like before I became reformed, we were talking about reading our Bibles and coming like consistently finding a way to be in the word. And she said, if I wait for my heart to tell me to read my Bible, I'm not going to read my Bible. <laughs> I have to form patterns and habits and, you know, be dutiful in obedience to being in God's word. Um, And so that was really challenging to me because that wasn't how I thought about it. I would, I would literally wait until I wanted, you know, it was, I, I was raised in a very emotional type of Christianity. You know, you, you go by the whims of your emotions and what you want to do. So, um, Becoming reformed has has um, been very helpful for me, but um, that that was just very challenging for me to think about the law that way. Right. Yeah. There's, and I think that we see in a lot of evangelicalism where they've traded this emphasis on emotions for doctrinal purity and and truth. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think this actually fits right right into this, where it becomes more about how we feel. So, so it's all about our heart having the right motive motives, uh-huh. like waiting for the right motives before you obey. 
almost. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about before, you know, like, like really serious things like adultery and like being faithful to your husband. Um, if you really don't want to be faithful to your husband, uh, you, you still are because you don't just like go by the whims of your emotions. Well, my motives aren't right. So I'm not going to be faithful. Right. Um, that's not, that's not how following the law works. That's, and that's, that's like, that's really dangerous, you know? And I think I've seen people tweet things like this where they're like, well, God cares more about your motives than your actual obedience. And I'm like, I think, God cares quite a bit whether I'm faithful to my husband, <laughs> um, regardless of where my heart is at. Um, so I don't know. I, I think, I think it is our, our motives should be right in our obedience. And as we're sanctified, our motives are going to become more and more godly. Um, but even if, our motives are not there. <laughs> that doesn't mean we shouldn't, we shouldn't obey God's law. Right. Right. Exactly. We, we still, uh, and we have things we could give so many different examples of, of where this is true. I mean, it's kind of, kind of like as a mom, if, you know, I have a little baby and I, you know, I don't feel like caring for my baby that day. Yeah. I still have a duty to care for that ba baby, whether it's my desire or not. It's mm -hmm. still my duty as a mom, just like obeying God is our duty as a Christian. Yeah. Even though we'll continue to struggle and fail with, with obedience and, and always we have to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, we could think of a lot of examples. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, wow, that sounds a lot like how the world thinks, you know, like right. follow your emotions, you know, do whatever makes you feel good and right. And you be you. And right. Um, so I wonder if people who are saying that in Christian circles are borrowing from the world's thinking and, and language. Oh, yeah. That does sound very much, very worldly. Yeah. <sighs> very humanistic. But I don't know, it almost, it almost goes against what, it goes against what I was raised in, you know, that God does care more about your heart than your, than your actions. I was raised in that. So there's still this like gut instinct I have that that's wrong. But the more, the more I study scripture and read the confessions, I just don't see that anywhere. Right. <laughs> I, I'm not seeing this emphasis on God caring more about, um, your motives than, than your actual obedience. And part so. of our sanctification is the Lord working in our heart that we do love his law more and more. Right. Even though, even though we have this war inside of ourselves, I love God's law. I want to obey. And yet I still do what I don't want to do. Yeah. I, I sin. I covet. I, I hate my neighbor. I don't mm -hmm. love my neighbor as myself. I don't love my husband as I should. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of like a time in my life when going to church on Sunday wasn't that important as long as I went to like youth group during the week or something. And now how I guard my Sundays, like 
no one is coming near my Sunday. Like I, we're going to church and this is what we're doing. And, you know, it's like, that's, that's the Lord's work in my heart and making me love, you know, the fourth commandment, for example. So we have one more question and this is a kind of an interesting one. She says, there's another place where law and gospel distinctions seem blurry to me. Sanctification, our gradually greater obedience to the law. Am I understanding that right? Yes, which we did define that mm-hmm. according to the Westminster Confession, an act of God's free grace. So by God's grace, we are given a desire to obey the law. The way that I was taught it, when Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, it is saying when you desire God's law, that is a blessing from God. You can't create that in yourself. It is only by God's grace that you would love the law. It is a blessing because it is good for you. It is not that you earn blessings by loving the law. Your love for the law is a blessing in and of itself. It's nourishment to your soul, like streams of water would be to a tree's roots. So because my desire for obedience to the law is an act of God's free grace, and I'm not saying we don't have a duty to obey God's law, because God does require it of us. But if we are vessels of mercy, we are graciously given a desire to pursue that obedience. So in my new nature, I love God's law. It seems like that is part of the gospel because it is an act of God's free grace. Hmm. I I really appreciate the way she worded all that. Um, That was very well thought out. Um, so she says, is this true? Is, is, um, following God's law then part of the gospel because it's an act of God's free grace. What do you think, Colleen? Well, first of all, I think if we called anything good in this world, gospel, because it is a blessing from God, um, I think that's when we start to get into calling many things gospel issues. Mm-hmm. And the gospel specifically is the the good news, the proclamation of of what Christ has done for us. I think here the hang up is the the use of the word grace. Because we say that sanctification is an act of God's grace. And we also say that we are saved by God's grace. I think that's where the confusion is. Yeah. Do you think well, that's I what think, I'm seeing in that maybe word? Maybe it's important to understand sanctification because some people say sanctification is me cooperating with God to do good works or that sort of thing. Instead of understanding that sanctification is the thing that God does and our good works are a result of the of God's work. So sanctification is a work of God's free grace. So it says, this is what sanctification is. It's a work of God's free grace. And our obedience is the result of that. So Okay, so I think I think maybe the confusion lies in so we are saved by God's grace. We are sanctified by God's grace. We're also ultimately glorified by God's grace. Um, so we know we know we we've talked about how justification is not the only part of salvation. There's other aspects to it. 
Um, but salvation and the gospel are not the same thing. The gospel is the pronouncement of the good news that the gospel and salvation aren't one in the same. So the gospel is just good news. And so nowhere in the gospel is it, this is how you are to be saved and then do this. The gospel is just the good news. Right. And then once we're saved, then God God does sanctify us. It is God's work, but that's not an aspect of the gospel. That's just an aspect of God's God's saving grace. Right. Yeah. I think Did I say that right? <laughs> no, I, I think you actually explained that that very well. So when when we're saved, it's because we are believing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Which is God God making our hearts right. believe. Right. He he gives us faith because we are like Ephesians two says, dead in our trespasses and sin. He yes. makes us alive in Christ by grace. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think I think you explained that yeah. well, Ashley. I am going to include in this week's epi- episode notes a series that R. Scott Clark did. It's a, I'm not sure how many are in the series, and it's actually nomism versus antinomianism. And mm, so it's he really, excellent. Yeah, yeah. He really digs into all of this much yeah. more deeply, you know, in several episodes than, than we've done here. And so anyone trying to wanting to fully grasp this, I highly, highly recommend that series, which I'll link. And then I'm also going to put a a few things that he has written because he's really done a lot of work on this subject. And since he's a, since he's a church historian, I love that he includes so much about the history of the church and, you know, it's just very enlightening. Like, wow, I didn't know that, you know? So. Yeah. And in regards to both nomism and antinomianism, we do see both of these in some reform circles. Yeah. Neither are consistent with the confessions or contrary mm-hmm. to scripture in the confessions. But he, even in the series, he talks about through church history where we have seen versions of nomism even in reform circles. Yeah. So check out all of our resources for this week. Well, we'll go to a quick commercial and then we're going to come back and do our yeah about that. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening, and welcome to Conversations from the Port. Hello and welcome to Living in the Vine. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. 12 podcasts, one network. Check them out at BibleThumpingWingnut.com. You know, Ashley, sometimes a quote like, on the surface sounds good, 
mm-hmm. then you think about it a little bit more and you think, you know, I'm not so sure about that. I think I have one of those. And I'm not going to hmm. say who said it. But okay. You know, we didn't plan this ahead of time. So Ashley hasn't heard this before. So I want to see what she has to say and then I'll give my thoughts. But God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Oh, okay. God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Okay. So something I do as a teacher is when a student makes a mistake, I'll be like, class, what did, what did the student do there that's correct? <laughs> before I point out the error, you know? Mm -hmm. So God does respond to a believer's prayer. That's true. Right. That's, that's something they got correct. Like, like believing prayer, it almost like the word of faith people use it. Like you really have to have faith when you pray or God's not going to do it. Yeah. It also sounds like God's restrained a bit. He can only, He can't act outside of, like, unless I pray, God can't act. And that's not the God we see in the Bible. That I've, I've had situations where something's going on that's causing me distress, and I haven't even prayed about it yet like I ought. And right. God totally works. Hmm. And it is such a reminder to me. I mean, we we should be praying. So right. definitely. And I've been wrong and neglecting to pray about. I mean, have you ever had something where that's like causing you stress and you realize I haven't even prayed about this. That's mm-hmm. the first thing I've done. But I've yeah. actually had situations where I realized that God was gracious to me in working a situation out. Yeah. Even when I hadn't even, I hadn't even prayed. To him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something I was thinking when I, when I saw that quote, that God, I think it just, that quote almost discounts God's grace. Mm -hmm. In our weakness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In our weakness to not pray as we ought. Um, And so it's like I said, I like that they're emphasizing that God does respond to believers prayer. I think that's good but they're putting God in a box a little bit. Well, so. the other thing I've, I've heard from a couple of women, I've been praying about such and such a thing and I feel like God isn't answering me. Maybe I don't, I'm not believing enough. Maybe I'm, mm. maybe I'm not being obedient enough and that's why God isn't right. answering my prayer. But mm. let me tell you, God, God answers our prayers. He just doesn't always answer the way that we hope. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm sick and, or let's just say I'm shopping for a new house and I pray, oh, Lord, help everything to work out to get this new house. And then it doesn't work out at all. That doesn't mean yeah. that God hasn't answered our prayer. And mm-hmm. maybe he has a better house for you. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean or maybe not. Right. <laughs> or maybe not. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't it doesn't mean that God doesn't answer your prayer. Just sometimes God does not answer our prayers right. in the way that we want. And that's because God is wise and, and good. And sometimes the things that we want is not the best thing for us. Yeah. And I, I think of all the people I pray for, um, almost daily that are not saved. Then I pray that God would save them. And I mean, some of them, I've been praying for them for five years 
Um, and there's no real, you know, like I don't, change. no change. They're still exactly the way that they are in their sin. And, um, but I keep praying, you know, right. um, does that mean you aren't believing enough? No. Yeah. It's and not just waiting for you to believe enough. Um, I definitely believe that God has the power to save. Um, but I know that he's the one that saves and he chooses whom he saves. And so, um, but I understand sometimes it can be, it can be discouraging. Like I've been praying the same thing for five years, you know? Yep. And I, there's nothing. So, yeah. And and one thing I think about is that, is that God is often, God, God is working in ways we don't see. We had a, a friend who was a complete atheist and, I think I almost was like that person is just never going to become a Christian. And then he ended up becoming a Christian and it was kind of an amazing story, but God had been working in ways that none of us who were praying for him saw Mm -hmm. and the Lord had been working for a while. Yeah. And so even if like from your perspective, Ashley, you don't know the Lord might be working. Yeah. One of the people even right now, even though, you don't see it at this point. Mm-hmm. Cause I think when we pray, I'm like, God, please save this person now, right. <laughs> you know, please do it now. Like I want them to be saved right away and they're not, you know? Um, and certainly God has the power to save them now. Um, but he, he didn't, you know, in that span, but it doesn't mean he won't ever. Yep. You know, do it. So, yeah. I had a friend whose mom prayed for for a long time that that she would come to Christ and she just wasn't, you know, no interest, very hard heart towards the gospel. And it was actually in the end when she was in the hospital dying that she came to Christ. Wow. So, never give up hope if you are praying for someone who doesn't know Christ. Even, I mean, her heart was just completely changed completely changed to the gospel. So, well, I want to let everyone know, do not miss next week's episode because this is going to, this is somebody that is, that I've been wanting to have on. It's one of my favorite. For a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody whose books I've recommended. And after we have him on, we will come back to this series and talk a little bit more about the law, if we didn't answer your question today, feel free to message us, email us, all yeah. our contact information. And we're, we're also going to be announcing some exciting things going on with Theology Gals next week. So, yep, don't. we've got some news. So, yeah. tune in. Tune in next week. It's an important episode. And make sure you're following us on social media. You can find us at BibleThumpingWingNet.com and click on Theology Gals and We have links to all of our social media there and all of our contact information. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.